0: Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada.
1: Welcome back to part two of uh, our podcast on, um, on uh, residential land prices in the GTA. And today we have back Mike Chesahowski who is the, the vice chairman at um, at uh, CBRE, focusing on um, on land. And uh, John Galuzzo, who is our um, uh, senior director for Veraltis, focusing on land evaluation. And uh, of course, Marlon um, and um, myself hosting this session. So last time when we discussed, we, we talked about we started again to discussion about um, urban versus suburban, especially with the, the the investment, especially the last number of years, um, the uh, both uh, the the provincial and as well as the federal level, with the increase in um, development or in investment in infrastructure into the province. So, and to a certain extent, when in our previous session, the some of the allowable zoning and nimbyism, um, it continues to um, be in practice despite all the changes and as well as the, the intensification of that, that growth in that, that area. So either Mike or John, do you want to sort of uh, continue on the discussion with urban versus suburban uh, land prices and some of the challenges that b- both guys see in, in these two areas for, for land prices?
0: Mike, you want to go ahead on that one or would you like me to take it? You go ahead. Yeah, so what we're seeing is greater demand, definitely on the suburban side. And I think more flexibility from the municipalities in in those suburbs. And when I say suburbs, I am including GGH. So greater Hamilton area, KW area, Guelph, um, Barrie. Um, Innisfil and out in Durham region and Clarington area. What we're seeing uh, in terms of calls and activity is much more demand now for stock townhouse sites and for, for call it low to mid rise apartment sites, which historically we really haven't seen other than the downtown areas of, of uh, KW, if you will, and Hamilton but there's now a willingness from those municipalities to support, I'll call it gentle intensification in keeping with the communities rather than your traditional um, single family detached lots. Um, there's still obviously significant demand for those. However, there's greater demand from an affordability standpoint to provide housing below the million dollar mark. And the only housing you can provide below the million dollar mark even in those outlying areas, would be uh, staff towns, small, small traditional towns, and and obviously a condo apartments. So, we're seeing greater flexibility on those outlying areas. And I think, from a suburban perspective, from an urban perspective, we really need to update our uh, blanket zoning. Hopefully, Bill Twenty Three is a step in the right direction. Um. To, to help uh, both small builders, large builders, um, bring real product to the market and end flexible form of housing. Um, there are, are many people, uh, myself included, that would rather live in a, in a small boutique building um, in my older years or a triplex or sixplex it had the right design good access um, as opposed to a 30, 40, 50 story high rise. Um, not to say that there isn't a requirement for those. There is, but there I think we need to expand in term of the in terms of housing formats and open up our eyes to other cities like Paris and London and and some of the American cities that have more of a, I'll call it gentle intensification. Uh, and, and a greater neighborhood feel. Okay,
2: um, Mike? Um, I guess COVID helped those other GGH markets. We saw a lot more activity, a lot more demand for land in the Hamilton, Niagara, Barry, Peterborough, Lindsay areas than we ever saw before. You know, those are areas where we traditionally slower absorption, And we saw more local developers going there than we saw our Toronto guys. COVID stimulated the the housing market in those areas for single-family homes. It was drive till you can afford. I'll never have to go back to the office. And we saw those areas pick up. What's going to happen now that some of us are being called back to the office, more and more so, is that going to affect those markets? How are people going to commute from Collingwood? I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there, but I didn't move to Collingwood, but I know people that did, think they they'd never have to go back to the office. I agree with John. Right now, the suburban markets, the 905 markets, the areas that can release through OP expansions and Greenbelt release are strong demand. We saw that when we were marketing our lands. Um, certainly there isn't as much available when something does come available there's a, a good interest in it. That being said, prices haven't adjusted, but the terms have. So in one way or the other, prices have adjusted. On the high rise market, the more urban market, that's always been strong. It's just finding the right site. I'm more, I think the, the concern on what the government's gonna do to us, the 416 with development charges and other part uh, policies, inclusionary zoning, I see more concern of that with that and increasing construction costs than I do in the suburbs. So, you know, I, I think we're a bit of our own worst enemy in in the policies that could be coming down the pipe. The increase in charges, um, I think our government has to realize if they want affordable housing, continuously increasing the charges to so making it more difficult isn't going to help.
3: Marlon, from a policy standpoint, what are your thoughts? No, I think uh, I've said it over in Oregon. I think the city of Toronto is the worst place to do business in North America, or one of them. I think it's uh, it has a self-defeating attitude to affordable housing that means developers have to work way too hard and take on way too much risk. And I think as you move out, There's a lot more reception to development. Um, Obviously, the city of Hamilton came out all in on intensifying downtown. That's what's pushed a lot of that out. Obviously, they're a lot more resistant on the sprawl idea. But I think some of the smaller cities have realized that that this is an opportunity for them to sort of develop and grow. Uh, I always like to use Milton as an example because I live out there. I'm of the attitude if one and a half million people want to move into Ontario, we've got to build one and a half million homes. Stick them all there. I don't care. So it's the opposite of NIMBYism we tend to get, I find, as you move out to some of the suburban cities, they're less interested in NIMBYism, more interested in revitalising the neighbourhood, re- revitalising the downtown core, whereas uh, I find the mentality in Toronto is just beggar's belief down at the, the council level or the municipal level. It's like they live in an alternate universe. And I think that's going to be the challenge. Like um, the as-of-right zoning, I mean, it should be a no-brainer. The zoning should be changed. Can you imagine how long that would take and how many arguments they'd have? It's just part of the problem is it's the the municipality is allowed to block versus help. And we're seeing it a little bit now in Mississauga too. But then again, how far out do you go? I made the joke at the Land Development Conference last year. At this rate, the only place left for anyone to live will be Windsor. So eventually that race out, sprawl out has got to change as well. There's only so far you can travel for work, to Mike's point. Um, I don't think I'd fancy driving in from Collywood every day. I think that I'd get a, little bit, a bit tiresome. And even the the train to Barry's got to be a pretty decent length of train trip as well, which twice a week might not be the end of the world. But I certainly won't want to spend five days a week on the train from Barry down here.
2: No, but Marley, you're right. is it time that our provincial, federal government looks at these outer GGH markets and says, I'm going to move the jobs there. I don't need to be in downtown Toronto where the space is so expensive. My employees are going to be happier when they can buy a house for $600,000. And they're all living in rental apartments now. Maybe it's a change in in thought process of, you know, our ability to move some of those government jobs and encourage other companies to put jobs into these smaller communities that would love them, where affordability and land is such that we can deliver homes that much cheaper. But the lack of jobs force people into the Toronto. Now, yeah. if we move some of these government jobs outside of downtown Toronto in the periphery into some of these smaller areas, maybe that would loosen things up here too. Probably not much, but still it would be a start. It would help bolster some of the communities that are desperately in need of office and jobs like London, Ontario, that is sitting with a big vacancy in downtown. So certainly we could take that. We could have much less costs for occupancy for our government related users. And uh, I believe those employees would be happy to go buy a job, uh, a house, and put a bunch of money in the bank.
3: Yeah, even if you look at Ottawa with the feds, there's been an ongoing discussion about how centralized they are and how many employees they have based in Ottawa and Gatnow versus spreading the love out a little bit. Now, they, they do have some degree of spread, but nowhere near what they could really relocate that they don't necessarily need in a centralized location. So if you put the province and them together, they could start a catalyst for change. We made the joke. Uh, I was at the ResCon uh, AGM a, f- uh, a few weeks ago, and that's when we were looking at it, and someone said, what's the solution? Actually building a city from scratch without anyone from the city of Toronto involved and any councillors would be the natural solution. Find a big parcel of land in Ontario and start from scratch with no Government, people involved whatsoever, in essence, would be a very simplistic solution that would never happen. The all in that is everybody moved to Calgary, but eventually they'll run out too. So we can't shift 1.5 million people out to Calgary, instantly would solve the issue. But if you look at Edmonton, Edmonton's a stable market, sprawl. So we don't want sprawl, but what do we want? You have to We have to pick a solution that still solves the land price issues and the, solves the housing issues. And what we're doing right now does not work at all, in the slightest. Yeah, yeah it, but, but
0: Marlon, yeah, sorry, I was just going to add, think about all these small to mid-sized communities along the 401 corridor between London and Brockville, if you will. There are so many decent options for people that don't have to commute, they can still work, and they can revitalize these, these communities yep. that were once thriving.
3: Um, and then put a high-speed rail line in. Let's go high-speed like they have in Europe. Exactly. Put, and then anyone can get into work on a high-speed rail line. They don't need to drive in the 401 if they don't want to. We can
0: we can learn a lot from the Europeans if we can just forget about the politicalness and step up and put in the proper rail system, light rail system to get across. We have so many opportunities to intensify along that 401 corridor.
1: And, and the whole thing here is that we have seen some of those benefits, like Hamilton was a uh, shift to affordability, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And now you're starting to see the fruits of uh, that, that transition because people moved out there, were commuting back and forth for, um, from the downtown through the goal line. And now they're, if you look at Hamilton downtown, is becoming a little bit more revitalized with um, hip restaurants and um, and revitalization of uh, some of the uh, older offices. So instead of having that commute, they're setting up their own companies or um, um, and um, and startups. And same thing with St. Catharines. It was the first time in five years that a new office building was built out there. So, and especially Kitchen Waterloo, with the universities there are, are, are sort of the, the, the tech triangle. So you're seeing some of those benefits. And from affordability standpoint, that's where you're seeing um, a little bit of um, growth and definitely with the, the talent movement. But you know, the funny thing is, is that we're asked this almost every uh, sort of um, when we do a market update, what about the suburbs, right? So it, the suburbs office vacancy rate remains high. Downtown and the urban area remains remains high as well, but most of that demand for office space is still in the core Class A space in the downtown marketplace. There, we're not seeing a big change in the suburban office, but I, I kind of like the, the 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 comments that there's a lot of um, older offices or revitalization. Um, opportunities in the smaller markets, especially when we see this evolution of the workplace, that do you really have to be in the office, or is it two or three days a week? And uh, like Marlon's willing to make that trip for twice a week from from Collingwood. So if we have some of that, then we'll have maybe a little bit more balance, and there's we'll probably see some, a little bit more co-working space in those other markets that that have that technology cluster and the internet speed to be able to around that. But we're also talking about the evolution of, of workplace and how we use the how we use our, our, our real estate. But the outlying areas are we still seeing we, we saw the increase in home prices? Are we seeing the corresponding increase in, in land prices as well with with kitchen Waterloo and some of the other markets you guys are mentioning?
2: Yes. Yes. So, so front, now, you know, this was during COVID. But we were surprised in some of those other markets, especially that Kitchener area and some other areas where outside of Hamilton where we were selling land and the demand was strong and the prices, they've jumped. And that's purely that demand during COVID of
0: people moving further out. Albeit though, let me add to that. So I got, I got the contrarian view. Albeit in the last six months the Because sales have slowed down tremendously, interest rates are higher. Land values in those areas right now, today, have declined. They've come down. Um, However, they'll come back again. And it'll be the first first, um, reduction in interest rates that first trigger, I'm sure, will entice many developers to get back in the game and start knocking on doors to buy it. To buy parcels, but right now it's a wait and see attitude.
3: Marlon, I felt that you wanted to say something there. No, I just like the idea of everyone moving to London, Guelph, Kitchener, Waterloo. I actually think it's a great idea. Right now, if you look at London, under the places to build or places to go, thinking me, they did the 1.5 million homes. Uh, London's doing 45,000 homes why can't that be 200,000 and if we got enough business to follow it i would suggest that London is more adequately set up to take 200,000 more homes than 45,000 homes the same with Guelph and they have nice downtowns is they have hospitals they have universities they have well respected universities as well like to me i think we're just missing the, this obsession with Toronto maybe it needs to change a little bit and the, the business is forcing everybody downtown. Does every business need to be downtown? Yeah, and those outlying markets
1: like London and Kitchener or whatnot, they're, they have plus 20% office
3: vacancy rates. So There's more than an opportunity and from a cost standpoint. Yeah. So if you build 200,000 homes in London, does business follow? Yeah. Because that's 400,000
1: people. Right, and typically it does, right? And that's where we saw that growth in the – in the urban areas where companies were locating closer to the employees, especially with um, that whole um, downtown restaurants and um, shopping and entertainment. So whether or not that that, that gets duplicated, but so what we're we're going through with slowdown with um, the market based on the high interest rates, lack of lending, um, Mike, what, what, what are we seeing? Are there adjustments that um, vendors or purchasers making, especially deals that were done maybe about two or three months ago to get deals over the finish line? What's the complexity of that now?
2: Certainly you don't see too many deals from what we signed two or three months ago closing at the same level. Generally, there's some form of adjustment, whether it be through price, terms, closing date, or a combination of all of the above. Are people asking for adjustments? Generally, I'd say 80% of the time, depending on the quality of the purchaser and the, and the type of product and what they found out during due diligence. But there's still strong demand. You know, the first, the first person they stopped calling is the land broker. Like, you know, and I've seen this a few times and I can feel it before anybody else if something's going sideways on us. Because the last thing you're gonna buy is development land if you think things are gonna get worse. We're still popular out there. People are still calling us. We're still getting requests to have lunch. So, you know, it tells me with that still, that strong demand for land, People look at this as short-term. Nobody's looking at this as a long-term change. Everybody knows towards the this fall, maybe early next year, we're out of it, and things are relatively back to normal.
3: Okay. Yeah, I mean, from our side, it's Sorry. the same, because my team does a lot of the due diligence stuff, and the, we're just as busy as ever running those due diligence reports. We're just as busy as we were last year, and I think last year was probably one of our busiest years and we're we're still busier than they were many years ago. People are still looking at land, people are still doing due diligence, people are still moving forward. We keep getting surprised because we expect it to slow down, then four or five turn up at once from different developers looking at pieces of land and they want to run through the numbers, do a double check. So to Mike's point, there's still a lot of people looking for opportunities. Is there as many? No, but the ones we work with are looking at more opportunities now because there's a real opportunity for them.
0: Yeah, and Ray, I would add to that uh, we, I mean, we've had the busiest quarter ever this year, and I, I feel that whenever there's a change in interest rate or financing or some planning regulations, the appraisers get a call and say, well, what's my site worth now with this, these new rules? What's, what's my site worth in this market? So we've been really busy, and I had the uh, a great opportunity to go down to Boston during March break, and you know... Not to say that we saw the entire city, but I may have counted three or four cranes um, in, in the downtown area and we went out to Harvard as well. I mean, we have the greatest number of crane activity. I think we're either first or second place in North America
3: yeah. I think in we're terms of
0: crane first, yeah. We're so first by a
3: right? long way.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Well, there you go. So there are so many people international. Locals, we are a safe haven. We really are. And why do immigrants want to come here? They feel comfortable here. They like the multiculturalism here. So I, I agree with both Marlin and Mike. This is temporary. We just don't know if the temporary. I don't know if the temporary six months, twelve months, eighteen months, but it's definitely temporary.
2: Okay, can so we
0: bet one, right?
2: Sorry, can we left the bet on here. I think we're going to see some launches in the summer, yeah. July, August, that do very well. I think a lot of people are sitting on their hands and they're going to get, I better get back in. I'm going to get the unit I want. I'm going to get the lot I want still. And maybe next year I'm not going to. I I can feel that this summer, towards the end of the summer, maybe fall, that we're going to see some launches with great activity.
3: Yeah, I think mean, there's a lot of pent up pressure. I, I agree. I think definitely by the fall, we're going to start seeing some of that pent up pressure release. And then the question is, is how quick does the wave just go insane? Or how long does it say just stable? And then as I, as I say, by 2025, it's all, we're, we're, everything's going to go crazy again guaranteed almost. So it's, it's how quickly does it come back? Then how fast does it accelerate back up again? And then everyone's going to start going to about affordability crisis and the municipality guys are going to go, what crisis? We don't understand. We keep approving sites. What's your problem? So
0: I I have a slightly different view. So I agree that we're going to have some successful launches in the fall, not, not the summer, but the fall. Uh, I just hear everyone traveling. They're finally getting back on airplanes this summer. And, Apparently they're all flying away. Um, so I would say the fall. I don't see a huge increase in pricing. I really don't. I just don't feel that there's that much cash sitting on the sidelines that people are willing to to bid up pricing. So I think that the that price inflation we witnessed from the beginning of COVID March 2020 till February 22, we're never going to see that again. In the next 10 years, not at that rate of in price inflation. I think we're going to see slow and steady Eddie, maybe 3%, 4% price increases year over year. And I think the absorption, we're not blowing out um, condos 50% pre-sales in two weekends. I think those days are gone. I think we're going to have a more normalized marketing period of at least 12 months before you get to construction financing. So threshold, so 60, 70% pre-sales. I think it's going to be 12 to 24 months before you get that on most projects. Maybe not the special ones.
3: Okay, so you've got 24 months and uh, I think Mike was a little more optimistic with the fall and I'm at 12. So Ray, write that down and then whoever loses has to buy the rest of very expensive steak dinner with a nice bottle of wine. Is Sounds a- good. Yeah, so John, John will tell you where you're taking us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
1: Agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I I I I'm kind of on the same side as, as John. I'm not as optimistic for what's gonna happen this year. I, I, I still I, I agree that we're gonna see a slight uptick in activity in the second half, but um I, I don't see us really getting back to any type of normalcy until sort of mid to late 2024, especially with this with I, I don't think this whole foot. Um, you know, some of the financial challenges with Silicon and, and a few others. We've really sort of worked through the issues, even though it was a little bit more stable now. I, I'm not sure if there's a few more surprises there. And still a little bit nervous about a potential recession, not a full recession, but sort of a, still a slowdown. And based on where the interest rates are and refinancing, I know that banks are increasing the, some of their amortization to keep, um, you know, keep, the, the 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 sort of payments at a, at a constant level, but I'm a little bit worried about um the the leverage people and the pressure that people are on under and especially with I know uh inflation started to come down a little bit, but um I still have concern about um pricing.
3: I don't know if yeah. that, what are you saying like the pricing <laughs> and the remo the way I'm looking at the remortgage idea, someone's mortgaged that they can't afford the house, that means they're gonna sell it. And I suspect when they go to sell it, there's not enough people selling homes right now. There's 10 people to buy that house. So does the value go down or does it go up? I think ultimately, we're going to start seeing the house prices tick up a little bit over the next few months, not down on the resale side. And I think the new construction side is going to be kind of flattish for a little bit, just as people feel it out. Or they'll just do incentives anyway. So they'll just incentivize and keep the sales price the same. Welcome back, Ray.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll... I'll, um... Apparently, I think my internet just expired for the room.
3: That's oh. okay. It's what happens when you stay at fifty dollars a night motels in Vancouver. Uh, uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, th- I I think we're wrapping this, this this thing up. Uh, thank you for everyone's uh, time, and uh, I've, I've written the numbers on the bets. Uh, so let's let's uh, see if, um, twelve months from now or sooner, see where the market's heading. So or head he- headed. Um, mike thank you again for joining us and john and of course marlon and uh, again thank you again for joining this um this session on gta land pricing
0: thank you for the yeah. invite
1: no yeah. thank you for joining
0: thank you thank you my pleasure